It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and we got a good one in store today coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour. We're going to talk with an award-winning author, uh, Fiona Fox Faraday, who uh, is the author of a new book called Cairn uh, Mates of the Alliance Book One. In uh, in the middle of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with another author uh, who lives in Missouri. He is, uh, let's see, uh, let me let me get this right because I don't want to sell him short. He's um, uh, I think. Where, where are my notes? Well, um, the book is uh, fascinating, called All Along the Watchtower, about the murder at Fort Devens some years ago. And uh, the author is William Craig, and he'll be joining me coming up in just a little bit. But we're going to start out. It's going gonna, it's gonna to feel like, uh, I don't know, like we're doing breaking news because we're going to talk about some of the things that have been going on just really in the last couple of days with regard to uh, Brittany Griner's uh, incarceration um, over in Russia. And uh, we'll probably talk about a few other things that have been in the news with Pulitzer Prize-nominated writer and chief legal analyst for Esquire Digital, Aaron Solomon, who joins me by phone. Aaron, good morning and welcome back. It's great to talk to you again. It's always great to be here, Tom. Thanks for having me. Um, let's talk about Brittany Griner. Um, you know, she. It, I've been reading the phrase wrongfully incarcerated. Or something to that effect. I might not be quoting it exactly right. No, wrong, wrongfully detained is the U.S. That's, government's phrase. Yeah, and and yet nobody um, nobody discounts the fact that she um, was caught with an illegal substance. In Russia. So I'll, I'll jump in. And, yeah, I'll and, jump in by being the. Yeah, and and I, I just I just want to underscore that because while it may be legal here, it's not legal there. And should there be some special consideration, that's kind of where I was going there. So no, there shouldn't be. In fact, American athletes uh, and remember, a lot of the women basketball players who play in the WNBA 
and they moonlight in other countries. They play in places primarily like Turkey, China, and Russia. I've lived in Beijing. Any American who's gone to these kinds of places understands that it's always home court rules that apply. You can't go into Istanbul and say, well, this would be okay in San Francisco. That doesn't work. Brittany Griner knew this because she's played for seven seasons in Yekaterinburg, a city in the Ural Mountains. So none of this was a surprise to her. And let's also put this in the context of her pleading guilty late last week to the charges. But it's very important for our listeners to take that kind of like, to do the mental exercise to understand that both the charges and her pleading guilty don't actually mean that she did it. Her pleading guilty was an informed decision that was the result of consultations with her Russian legal defense team. Because, Tom, what our listeners have to understand is the reality is that a defendant in a Russian courtroom, like Brittany Griner, is found guilty 99% of the time. The other 1% of those cases get retried, and 99% of those are found guilty. So we already know what the end result's going to be for Brittany Griner. She's going to be found guilty. What kind of a sentence does this carry? So what my best legal guess is that what's going to happen is she's going to be found guilty of the charges of possession of these illegal vape cartridges with hashish oil in them. And she's going to be found, she's going to, she, she's going to be sentenced to 10 years of time in labor camp. All this will do with such a serious sentence is raise her trade value as a political prisoner, which is exactly what she is. Now, former, um, is it Arizona or New Mexico Governor uh, Richardson? New Mexico, yeah. He, um, he's headed over there to negotiate on her behalf and on behalf of another uh, American being held there. In fact, I think it's, uh, is it, I want to say Paul Whelan? Correct. And and uh, Paul Whelan is I, I I think from here in Michigan. Um, what are his chances? Uh, what what would constitute a positive outcome for him? Well, I mean, we have to look at the results. The positive outcome would be that after four years of detention, Paul Whelan is released and Brittany Griner is released. Now, he's been involved in this case from the time that Brittany Griner was declared by the U.S. government to have been wrongfully detained. So his involvement's not new, but this diplomatic trip is new. And Richardson's not only the former governor of New Mexico, he's yeah, he a skilled a, and trained hostage negotiator. Well, and he, he held a cabinet position, didn't he? For Correct. And I'm, exactly. I'm trying so, to I mean, remember which one. And, and I didn't have anything about Richardson in my notes, so I'm kind of winging it here. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, so listen, the guy knows what he's doing, and he's a good, he's a good person to send over um, as a hostage negotiator, but these things don't go quickly. As, as Paul Whelan's family discussed with President Biden over the weekend, you know, he's been in custody for four years, and uh, really, it's really only Brittany Griner's detention that has put Paul Whelan's case back into the public spotlight. Um, what are the chances that Paul Whelan actually was a spy? Well, here's the thing. Brittany Griner, her business was basketball. 
Brittany Griner, as I've discussed all over the radio and TV waves the last few weeks, sure. was or is one of the greatest basketball players of her generation. Paul Whelan, and I know nothing about Paul Whelan personally, but he was in the intelligence business. So I'm not saying that Paul Whelan is a spy and people can believe that he was or he wasn't, but he was in the intelligence business. And that's a much more difficult, it seems, detention for the United States to negotiate. Yeah, but in 99% of these cases where, you know, the Russians um, detain an American citizen, um, the Russian position is that they're always there spying. And the U.S. position is they're never there spying. Sure. And And I have to believe that sometimes it's somewhere in between. Of course, but the thing is, at least for the Brittany Griner piece of this discussion, I at least haven't heard of anybody saying that she was there for any reason aside from basketball. The Paul Whelan one is far more complex, as I say, because of the business that he was in. Well, with Brittany Griner, I've said... And, but, and also, with regard to Brittany Griner, there's no need for a trumped-up charge because she did something that was illegal in that country. Well, again, she allegedly did something, and Agreed. we'll never know. Because, Agreed. Because, yeah, because, I mean, they could have said anything, and there's no way that she's going to be able to disprove it because of the fact that she has Russian counsel, she only had diplomatic access halfway through her 140-something-day detention already, but yes, that's the case. I, I just find it, having lived abroad and having traveled over 3 million miles myself and been in a whole bunch of foreign countries, I find it exceptionally hard to wrap my mind around that a super high-profile, you know, tall, black, tattooed, I mean, because she stands out everywhere, basketball star, knowingly went back into Russia after an international qualifying tournament with drugs. That makes no sense at all to me. Maybe she did, but it's very difficult for me to stretch my imagination to believe that. Well, it, the, the thing that makes it sound... Um plausible to me is is the fact that um that a vaping unit or cartridge was uh prominent in this and in whatever was seized from her or allegedly seized from her um seems to make it more plausible or or it it just seems odd to me or peculiar to me that uh Russians would trump up a charge about vaping. The thing is, I mean, again, I know <laughs> nothing about a couple important things about Brittany Griner. You know, I'm not a fan of tattoos and I'm not a fan of drugs. So whether she was vaping, how she was vaping, I don't know anything about I don't know a thing about vaping cartridges. It seems to me the most plausible thing is that Russia was getting ready to involve invade Ukraine. They looked around the nation and they said, who's the highest profile athlete that we have here who's an American? And you know this from being from the state that you're from. The highest profile sport in Russia is hockey. And the Continental Hockey League is the number one league. But high profile American players don't play in the KHL. So they looked around the country and they said, it's Brittany Griner, the basketball player. She's really the top athlete we have. And they grabbed her. And they had to come up with something. So they tried drugs. And again, 
that's just a story. That's just my perspective. It would seem to me a remarkably poor decision for someone who's played seven years in Russia to be traveling in and out of Russia with drugs. Maybe she did. But but you're saying that that from your perspective, she's far too experienced to have have broken that law or and she had far too much on the line the whole reason she was in russia is because the 200 and something thousand dollars she makes in the wnba is a fraction of the million dollars plus that she makes her season in russia again people make stupid decisions that aren't intuitive and aren't logical and maybe she did that but you know that the wnba warns their players when they go to play in other countries all the time this is a message that's constantly reinforced you got to follow the local rules or we can't help you. Yeah, that's like all times are local. Exactly. Um, well, let me... Uh, I, I, I want to get into what happens next, but what... How does it change or alter um, Richardson's negotiating position the fact that the U.S. is is waging sanctions against Russia and in providing uh, uh, military equipment and support to Ukraine. That's a great question, Tom, and it makes it infinitely more complex. And here's why: any time that there's going to be a hostage swap, the main thing that has to happen is both sides have to agree on the value of the swap. So, you know, it's been thrown around for a few weeks that Russia was interested. Who knows if this is true? Russia was interested in swapping Brittany Griner for that merchant of death, that arms dealer. Now, the United States might say, I don't know. We don't think that a basketball player is a really great trade for someone who's a big arms dealer. What else are you going to throw in? Maybe, wine, maybe Whelan and Griner for this guy. So Richardson's going over to Russia with a clear sense from President Biden and the Biden administration as to what a fair trade would be for Brittany Griner. We doubt that Russia is going to be realistic and say, oh, you suggest this trade that seems fair to us. That's just not the way. Everyone's trying to maximize the value of the prisoner they're trying to trade. Given the fact that the U.S. has done things like swift code sanctions, that the U.S. is helping Ukraine, is going to make it much more complicated because maybe Russia just doesn't want to do a person-to-person -person exchange. Maybe Russia comes in with something like You've got to, if not get rid of, relax the SWIFT code banking regulations, and an exchange will give you Griner or Griner and Whelan. This makes it much more difficult for someone like Richardson to do a negotiation where it's not a straight-up person-to-person trade. Right, right. Aaron, I have to take a uh, short break here, but I want to talk to you some more about this and a couple of other things. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Let's do it. All right. Sure. My guest is uh, Chief Legal Counsel for Esquire Digital, Aaron Solomon. And uh, we're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are WFOV 92.1 LPFM Flint. And if you're uh, streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner Program straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner Program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You know, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? So when it comes to protection, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our uh, conversation with uh, Chief Legal Analyst for Esquire Digital, Aaron Solomon. Um, Aaron, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. No problem at all. Um, just before the break, we were talking a little bit about uh, uh, Richardson. Um, is it is it Jim Richardson? Uh, of course, I remembered his name until a second ago. Yeah, and and, uh, I, and I'm I'm having trouble with it, and I didn't I didn't prepare any notes. Bill Richardson. Richardson. Bill Richardson. Bill Richardson. Okay. Yeah. Um, we were talking a little bit about his negotiation uh, or negotiating position um, in dealing with the Russians with regard to the detention of Brittany Griner, which has been going on for about three months, and um, uh, Paul Whelan which has been, he's been there for four years. Um, but my question is, and, and clearly from some of the things you said in the last segment, we're talking about political prisoners here. They're very much part of the geopolitical chess match that goes on all the time. Are they treated exactly. differently than prisoners of war? What kind of treatment are well, they likely so, to be getting? That, that's a great question. I get asked this all the time. So the one thing that I hear often in the United States is people saying, well, you know, Brittany Griner will be home soon. She'll be back in the WNBA. You know, a couple things. So when she's in court in Russia, you know, in criminal court, they're kept in metal cages. Uh, even the task news agency has admitted, basically, that they can't even find a bed that's going to fit Brittany Griner. If she gets home, do we even probably have them here? <laughs> I, I, I'm not I mean, sure. That's a it, good point. In all fairness, you know, I would think it, it'd be a little bit of a search even here to to find something uh, that would fit her. What is she? Six nine. Yeah, she's very very tall. Um, but but here's the thing. I, I mean, I think that it it behooves Russia to keep her in reasonably good physical condition. When you take someone as a political prisoner, you don't want them to get sick. You don't want them to die. You want to have something to trade. Um, but she's emotionally and physically, I'm sure she's a wreck at this point. I was surprised, That's my opinion. I was surprised to see that, um, and, and I'm not, I, I'm speaking a little bit out of turn here because I'm not sure that the, the call actually took place, but that Russians would allow phone contact between a detainee and, in this case, Brittany's wife. Yes, but I mean, again, you know, anything that can be negotiated diplomatically, you know, can be negotiated. And, you know, it's funny because Russia last week said all of this attention now from the United States on Brittany Griner, that doesn't help things long. I don't believe it. I actually believe that <laughs> Russia wants as much attention as possible because, I mean, which I think needs to happen anyway. But basically, the more the American public holds Brittany Griner out as being an important person that they want to have back, that really does increase her trade value from Russia's perspective. We were talking about some of the impact of, of trade sanctions and other things on Russia because of their invasion of Ukraine and some of the military support that U.S. has been giving Ukraine. Um, but in the process of doing this negotiating, how likely is oil to come up? 
everything's going to come up. Everything is on the table, as you said, Tom, because we're in a time of war, right? Everything is going to come up. The idea that if this was a more peaceful time and we were far away from kind of the Cold War Mach politic that we used to do and that we're doing at the moment, then it would just be a question of what prisoners do you have, what prisoners do we have? Do we think this is a fair trade? But it's far more complicated now. And for our listeners to understand, the end result there is that everything is going to go slower. It's great that Bill Richardson is involved. It's great that he's taking this trip. But the prisoner swap or the prisoner exchange for something is not going to be a quick process. I've been asked many times over the past few weeks how long I think this is going to take. I think it's going to take... I, I would personally would be surprised if Brittany Griner... I hope I'm wrong, by the way. I personally would be surprised if Brittany Griner were back in the United States in 2022. Now, see, I was going to ask that question completely differently. Um because I, I, I was going to ask what the chances were that she comes back with Bill Richardson. Uh, zero. Um, well, first of all, it couldn't happen because the trial that she's in right now, and this is, I think, important, interesting for our listeners as well. The trial that she's in right now is totally different from an American criminal trial. What happens in Russia is it's the judge that leads the prosecution. And even when Brittany Griner pled guilty, as she did the other day, that doesn't change anything at all. The prosecution still moves forward in the same way, which, of course, wouldn't be the case here. Here, it would be like, oh, okay, it's all over. That's great. But it doesn't work that way in Russia. So this trial is going to go on at least until sometime in August. There's no way that he's coming home with her. Well, and, and one of the things that I, I think um, not enough people know or realize is how, um, how attached... Russians are to um, to form like trials. That's a great point. Um, and it doesn't help at all for people to criticize. It doesn't help at all for us to say things like, oh, Brittany Grime pleaded guilty on Friday. That means she did it. Um, it's very, very clear that her pleading guilty on Friday was diplomatic advice that her Russian lawyers basically filtered and said, this is the thing to do. What they're trying to do by her pleading guilty is hope that the court is going to look at this as a mitigating factor and give a less severe sentence, which of course won't happen. But it's really her only shot. If she says, I didn't do it, if she, tells, if she didn't do it and she tells the truth, I didn't do it, I swear I had nothing on me, um, then she's found guilty anyway. At least this way, maybe she tries to do something, but it won't work. But as you uh, as you point out, um, the Russians are not likely at all to end a trial before it's been completed, regardless of Correct. any uh, of any negotiation or um, hopeful outcomes. It they're going to go through the process because they are all about process. Right, and Russia, unlike the United States, doesn't have rule of law. So anybody who thinks that what's going on in this Moscow courtroom is just a legal thing, it's primarily a political thing. And this is being driven by a judge who the judge himself is being driven by the government. Um, and this is basically the best way for us to look at it is a government action. Well, I... I definitely wanted to get into a couple of other things that have been in the news. Um, the Supreme Court and its recent rulings has uh, 
been a big part of the news, um, as has been the presentation uh, by the select committee on uh, the incursion uh, of uh, January 6th, 2021. Um, and, and I want to ask you about something that, that has been talked about recently on this show, and, and I've heard it talked about in, in other forums, is um, what the, the outcome of this is likely to be. I mean, are we really getting any new information in the presentations we're seeing, or is this just presentation of the hearings they've been holding behind closed doors to let people in on it? And what are the chances it's going to end up leading toward charges against former President Donald Trump These are great questions, Tom. So I got to tell you that I wasn't a fan of the January 6th hearings in the beginning. Uh, I thought it was too made for television, which, of course, it was made for television because it was made for television. Yeah, so what, we're seeing, hearings, I think, what we're seeing, yeah. I, I, I have a hard time calling them hearings. I agree with you, certainly in the beginning. Starting this off with prime time with the kind of very high-end production <laughs> quality that they had seems almost surreal. Now, yeah. that said, I'm becoming more of a fan of these, and I'll tell you why. As these have been extended beyond their regular scope, we're just getting more interesting people. Like, you know who we're going to see this week? We're going to get Pat Cipollone, the, the guy who was in the last testimony. Everyone was talking about him. We're getting the Secret Service driver from the car. We're getting Roger Stone. I mean, if you like politics and you like news, this week is a festival. It's amazing. So I think it is getting better. But to answer your question, what's going to come of this? My opinion is this. If you are someone who supports somebody like Ron DeSantis, for 2024, for the Republican Party. In other words, if you're not in the Donald Trump camp, I think you're probably in favor of what's going on right now with these hearings. Because whether this ends up in an indictment or whatever, I don't think that anything's happening with the January 6th hearings is good for former President Trump's candidacy for 2024. I don't see any silver lining with that. You know, it's it's been interesting because a lot of the people that support Trump have been trying to make the case that the other side isn't being heard from, that this is all a one-sided political presentation that's, uh, you know, anti-Trump and anti-Republican. But yet most of the people we've been hearing from, both the the people on the committee that have been asking questions, but certainly the witnesses have all been Republicans and or former Trump staffers. So, Tom, I'm, I'm, I'm not young. I'm very, very much old enough to remember Watergate. I remember being a kid through Watergate, and I actually remember uh, when Watergate ended and Nixon made his announcement. I was very upset as a young kid because we didn't go to an amusement park that night. We didn't get to go. We had to watch TV. But nonetheless, I actually remember it. And what's going on today with these hearings dwarfs Watergate. And I would challenge anybody to argue that. And if you caught any of the CNN thing, and I'm not a huge CNN fan at all, but I did catch a little bit of the Watergate thing a week ago, 
And just when you look at the scope of what Watergate was, you know, it's nothing compared to what we're seeing here with the January 6th hearing. That said, I still don't feel that the end result of this is going to be precluding Donald Trump from running again. I think it's probably going to put him at a disadvantageous position. And, you know, when uh, Hutchinson, um, the the young woman who uh, was an assistant to the chief of staff, uh, Mark Meadows, yeah. when she testified, a lot of pundits after the fact wanted to make that like some sort of a John Dean moment. But it really wasn't because some of the most damning things that she talked about were hearsay, number one, because she wasn't in the room when those things occurred. Um, But also, John Dean wasn't John Dean until the Watergate tapes came out. No, exactly. And this is, see, uh, also, I'm not a real fan, by the way, of the glorification of John Dean. He played a huge role in the CNN Watergate series as well. It's great when somebody finally realizes they've been doing wrong for too long and they want to turn things around. But how in the past half century uh, we've lionized John Dean as someone who just finally decided you know, to turn it in. I think there's very well, little parallel with he's, Hutchinson. He's managed to, to position himself as a whistleblower. Yeah, exactly. Um, look, this is a big thing that I saw with Hutchinson. You remember when she was on these tape depositions and then we saw her in person. They look like two totally different people. It looks like she's matured 10 years. They had her dressed differently, looking differently. I think part of what we're seeing with these January 6th hearings is the ability to try to convince the American public by the presence of people in a live hearing of things that may or may not be factual. And the thing is, we're never going to agree no one's ever going to agree on what the January 6th hearing represents because a lot of people aren't watching them. The people who are watching them come from so many different political persuasions. I ultimately think that as they are now kind of changing their tone, becoming more factual, coming out with more interesting characters, that it's probably a good thing that we're doing these January 6th hearings. But back to your initial question, I don't think the end result is going to be like a Watergate. Well, again, um, people weren't taking John Dean very seriously during his testimony. Um, you know, I watched some of those things, too, and and I, too, am old enough to remember when you said you didn't get to go to the, the amusement park or wherever it was you were going to go because you, you were forced to watch TV. Um, during the Watergate hearings, I, I had that same experience uh, in the wake of the Kennedy assassination. Um, so when you say you're you're old enough to go back that far, now I was very very young when the the Kennedy assassination occurred, but I remember my dad saying, "Watch this; it's history." And I think it's good that we did. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I I think so too. Um, but John Dean was thought of as um, a disgruntled employee until the tapes came out and verified almost word for word his testimony. 
We haven't had, as some have suggested, a John Dean moment yet. Do you think we're going to when Pat Cipollone appears? I don't. I think that the potential for a John Dean moment comes with Steve Bannon. Uh, that said, I, I think it's laughable from a legal perspective that Steve Bannon now agrees to come in front of the committee because President Trump has released his executive privilege. He's cleared him to testify because that's not the way executive privilege works. It would have to be President Biden as he is the current executive. Nonetheless, that little legal note aside, um, Steve Bannon, we know a lot of things about Steve Bannon. Whether most or not people is, don't think that that executive privilege existed or applied to Steve Bannon to begin with. Well, it didn't. That's what I'm saying. So Trump releasing him to testify is as <laughs> legally valid as me releasing him to testify. <laughs> but nonetheless, if he testifies, because we know that Steve Bannon is, love him or hate him, kind of a loose cannon and probably has lots of great information, he has an opportunity. I, I think that Chipotle is just going to basically say not much at all. Not that I think that Bannon's going to say a lot. Let's remember that uh, even though there's the possibility of two years in jail and large fines looming on the horizon for Bannon, he's really good at pleading the fifth. Well, and we've seen that done already in these um, presentations. Um, but let's, let's, uh, let, let's move on to one more thing I wanted to touch on because it's been a big deal in the news, Aaron, and while I uh, while I have the benefit of your expertise, the Supreme Court has made several rulings which the right has applauded and uh, liberals are lamenting. Um, and, and a lot is being made of the fact that Donald Trump appointed, you know, the, the most recent... Uh, justices to be appointed to the court, all of them uh, conservative, in, in changing the, the balance of the court to six to three um, when you, you know, look at, at conservative versus liberal and so on. And people are acting like, like somehow this is a historic first. Is it? No. It's not a historic first, and I'm not concerned about 6372. These things don't concern me. I think that this incarnation of the Supreme Court has some very fine, at least one very fine conservative jurist on it. What concerns me is that the Supreme Court, in American public opinion, is at its all-time low today as far as trust in the institution. I do not believe that a correct response to this is packing the court. I think that will destroy the court. Um, so I, I think that there's a lot of work to be done. But has, uh, also, the, but has the court, through its rulings and actions, created a, a um, uh, low public opinion to this degree in previous decades or eras um, in, in with different courts? Well, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it always seems like the times within which we're living are so much more extreme and harsh than other times. And all of this is coming, you know, still while we're in a pandemic, et cetera. We get all that. Um, that said, I think that, you know, it really does tear away at trust, no matter where you sit on the political spectrum, 
when people can make a cogent argument that a lot of these Supreme Court justices who've been recently, you know, appointed to the court have said things in their nomination hearings such as Roe is settled law, uh, implying that they're not going to touch Roe. That's the issue with trust, right? You have to trust somebody. And that's one of the things i got to say about the legal profession. Judges actually, no matter what kind of court system we're in, judges trust lawyers a lot until that moment when a lawyer gives judge reason not to trust them, and then that lawyer never gets that trust back. I think that's where we are right now with the Supreme Court. You've got a lot of people who are center or left of center on the political spectrum, and even some people who are slightly right of center, who are saying, why should we be trusting this court? That's tough to rebound from. And I'm interested to see in the contentious issues they've already chosen for the next term beginning in October, how they rebound from this. Do you think they will? Are they likely? Have have we seen something? um, Have we seen a court that's almost carved in stone? No, I think they will rebound from it, and here's why. As exercised as people were when Dobbs, the Mississippi abortion case came out, which gave the states, rather than the federal government, the authority to basically regulate abortion in their own state or outlaw it, everybody was so fired up. And you remember, I think the Democratic Party made a massive mistake uh, in the beginning, saying everything now depends on November. Donate money. Go out and vote. Um, You're already in power. You already control the Senate and you already control the presidency. So what's going to change in November? I think this is a bad political move. Um, So I think that as fired up as people were the day and the week that the Dobbs decision came out, it's impossible to carry that momentum all the way to November and expect that people are going to have that present sense impression of feeling exactly as they did when Dobbs came out, uh, when they decide whether they're going to go vote and who they're going to vote for in November. I think had the Dobbs decision been done you know, had it come down three weeks before the midterm elections, the results might have been very differently. I don't think any of this changes the red wave that we're going to see. Um, and I don't think that any of this ultimately changes the place in American society that the Supreme Court holds, because I think people forget too quickly. Is it ever going to be a Roberts Court? No, not at all. It will never be a Roberts Court. What Was um, it, it's was going it to be Maybe, but the thing is, just like America, I mean, the, the, the Supreme Court is as fractured and fractionalized as American society is. So if you want to look at all this bad news that people are seeing through at least a realistic but perhaps brutal lens, there's your lens, right? The Supreme Court itself is a reflection with people on the far right and the far left and not being able to agree and not being able to play by their own rules. Remember, we've talked about this before. The Supreme Court has a basketball court on the top floor. And no matter where you sat on the political spectrum, these justices used to play basketball together collegially. That collegiality doesn't exist within today's Supreme Court. I don't think there's a lot of basketball games going on. Aaron, we've got to... uh We've got to close here, but I, I want to thank you for spending this time with me. I, I hope we get a chance to talk again soon. There's so much to talk about, and the time just flies by. It does. I hope so, Tom. Thanks for having me, and hi to all the listeners. And and very quickly, we've got about 30 seconds. Um, where can people find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future? So um, I'm with Esquire Digital, and it's EsquireDigital.com. Uh, we help lawyers grow and scale their businesses. 
uh, you can find my writing. Just do a Google search of Aaron Salman with one A, and I write in Fortune Magazine and TechCrunch and all these great publications. Well, Aaron, thanks again, and keep up the good work. Thanks, Tom. Have a great day. All right. And with that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program after we take a short break. Lots more straight ahead. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee. Health Plan. Flip Flip Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. 
Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to tom at tomsumnerprogram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. in session. The coat's in session now. Here come the judge. Here come the judge. Here come the judge. Stop being that fudge. Cause here come the judge. Don't nobody budge. Cause here come the judge. Judge Shorty is presiding today. And he don't take no stuff from nobody. No Hey boy, take off that hat. Where do you think you're at? I know where you gon' be if you don't leave my me. I'm here to tell you. of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. It's 8 o'clock in Los Angeles. It's 9 o'clock in Denver. It's 10 o'clock in Chicago. In Baltimore, it's 642. <laughs> Hi, 
time for the 11 o'clock report. First of all, the headlines. Welcome Wagon runs over newcomer. Good humor man slays 10. Pen pal stabs pal with pen. Pediatrician dies of childhood disease. And Jacques Cousteau drowns in bathtub accident. We'll be back with full details in just a moment after this word from Cooley's Cigarettes. You know something, Bill? These cigarettes of mine, it tastes like crap. <laughs> Say, Dan. <laughs> Crappy taste. Why don't you try the cool, refreshing taste of Coolies? Coolies, eh? You smoke them? Nope, found them in the subway toilet. <laughs> And now back to the news. History's 135th heart transplant operation was performed yesterday in New York City. One unusual note, the heart transplant took place in Central Park at midnight and the donor's family was not consulted. Dr. Timothy Leary's brother, really Leary, today announced the formation of a new religion which teaches that when you die, your soul goes to a garage in Buffalo. Police today arrested Margaret Fulcrum, a 45-year-old unregistered nurse, and charged her with accepting collect obscene telephone calls. <laughs> Famed television announcer Charlie the Tuna was found dead today of mercury poisoning. Sorry, Charlie. Good news from the Far East. No one was killed in Vietnam today. However, three people died of old age at the Paris Peace Talks. <laughs> and former French President Charles de Gaulle rose from the dead today, just to show everyone he could really do it. <laughs> well, that's it from the news desk for the latest in sports. Here's Biff Barf. Good evening, sport fans. Biff Barf here in the Biff Barf Sportlight Spotlight, picking them up and barfing them right back at you. I call them the way I see them, and if I don't see them, I make them up. No games today. However, we do have a few late football scores still coming in from the far west. Guam Prep, 45. Marshall Islands, 14. Mindanao A&M, 27. Molokai, 10. Caltech, 14.5. MIT, three to the fourth power. William and Mary, six. Nick and Tony, 105. And here's a partial score, Stanford, 29. Well, that's it, kids. That's it from the scoreboard in the world of golf today in the Fats Domino Desert Classic. First round leader, Willie Waterhazard, had a birdie, two eagles, and a duck this afternoon. Meanwhile, the favorite Gary Fairway was way behind, scoring a record 609 strokes on the front nine when he accidentally stepped aboard a bus to Minneapolis while playing a difficult lie from the highway. Well, that's it, sport fans. Join me tomorrow afternoon on the ever-widening world of sports when I'll be presenting the national two-man pall-bearing championships. 
And next week, I'll be a guest hunter on American Sportsman. Six of us are going to kill a rabbit. <laughs> now, with the latest in weather, here's Al Sleet, your hippy-dippy weatherman. Hey! Hey! Hey, possum! Hey, what you call your possum? Al Sleet, hey, hippy-dippy weatherman, brought to you by Parsons Pest Control. Do you have termites, water bugs, and roaches? <laughs> Parsons will get rid of the termites and water bugs and help you smoke the roaches. <laughs> Present temperature is 68 degrees at the airport, which is stupid because I don't know anyone who lives at the airport. <laughs> Downtown, it's much hotter. Downtown's on fire, man. Now, if you'll take a look at our national weather map, you'll see that we don't have one. So try to picture last night's map in your mind. Remember all those lines and numbers. Weather was dominated by a large Canadian low which is not to be confused with a Mexican high. <laughs> Tonight's forecast, dark. <laughs> Continued mostly dark tonight. Turning to widely scattered light in the morning. <laughs> That's it from Al Sleet. Don't forget, if you don't like the weather, move. <laughs> Thanks, Al. Always a great report from Al Sleet. I think we all know by now, Al's been into the mushrooms. <laughs> well, that just about wraps it up on the 7 o'clock report. Join us again tomorrow night at 9 for the 11 o'clock news. In the meantime, stay tuned for a brand new comedy series, Double Trouble, the story of Siamese twins joined at the lips. And the merry mix-ups that occur when one gets married and the other has root canal work the same day. Good night, all. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you. This was another Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. <laughs> 